The following For the City Church sermon is part of our summer sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising, entitled Under the Sun from the Book of Ecclesiastes. We hope you enjoy it. If you've been following along here and or maybe online, then, then you understand that, that Koheleth, or preacher, teacher, he's been on this search for life and meaning found under the sun, apart from God, right? He's, he's on a quest, and he wants to squeeze all the juice out of this orange until there's nothing left and see if he has a full cup that he can be excited about for the rest of his life and eternity. So far, you have uh, realized he's come up a little empty right? The drops are dripping in, but they don't satisfy for long. And so he's going to continue. And, and, and here's the thing. He, think about where he's been, where we've been with him, if you've been following along. He's looked at wisdom. He's looked at knowledge. He's looked at madness. He's looked at folly. He's looked at many forms of pleasure, which we went into some pretty great detail that make us all look junior varsity if you're paying attention. I mean, this guy has capacity, to do all the things that our depraved minds at some points in life might think, that'd be good. I'd like to try that. That'd make me happy. If I had more money like that guy had, if I was king, if I had that kind of power, I would certainly be happy. And he's saying, no, maybe for a season, but that season would come to an end and you'd realize that that's not where it's at. We've looked at work. We've looked at friendship. And slowly it appears like the haze might begin to lift, right? As, As we look today, and, and remember, the, the big theme is he's seeking gain under the sun. He, he's, he's all about the profit margin. He, what is the gain under the sun? And what he's starting to realize, there's actually nothing to be gained under the sun. Not really. He, he says the word is hebel, right? Some translate it meaningless. Some, some translate it uh, a lot of different things. But really, it's, it's, think about smoke. You're trying to grab smoke. You can see it but you can never grasp it. It's, it's never there. It's enigmatic. It's a mystery. Life is a mystery. Why is it that if I think I had this, it would make me happy? And it does for a moment. Maybe it's a long moment. Maybe it's 10 years, but, but it's gone. It's gone. And, and the reason is because he's understanding it's not about gain. It's about gift. Life is a gift. It's a gift of grace, and it's, it's given from the hand of God. And gifts are not meant to be idolized. The, the creator is. And so that's where we're at. And that's where we jump in to Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7. I'm going to read it in whole again, just to get our minds there. And then we'll work our way through it uh, for the rest of our time. So it says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And he means temple, right? To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. For for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. So that's our text. 
And uh, coming out of chapter 4, you might think, man, that's a pretty hard shift, right? Because we looked at all of chapter 4 last week, and in and, and the whole chapter, there's no mention of God, right? If you remember, we, we, were, we were talking about a lot of different things, envy, greed, power, oppression, friendship, right? And those were all in there, but no mention of God. But then in these short seven verses, God's mentioned six times, and you're like, Okay, did, like, did he take a time off before writing this chapter? And like, no. Well, what's the connection? Is there a connection between four and five and where we're going to go and where he's going to take us? And I think, I think there is. I think it's, it's all worship. Chapter four is all about worship. But there's no mention of God. Right. That's the problem. If you think about all the things we discussed last week, envy is really just a form of worship. Greed is, is an expression of worship, right? Power is, is a form of worship. Wanting to be king and, and not hear the voice of anyone else around you, even though they might have tons of wisdom to offer you, is a form of worship of self. And what does that lead to? It leads to oppression of people. It leads to oppression of people. He's still on the same theme. These are not disconnected. And so in, in verse 1 the teacher exhorts us to watch your step when going to the household of God. This, this language is much different than we're accustomed to in our overly sensitive day and age. I mean, seriously, right? Like, this will not surprise you, but I generally dislike church signs. Anybody who hangs out with me knows that I am just like... Phew when it comes to a lot of cultural Christianity things. It drives me nuts. I need to grow up. I know. I'm trying. Lord, help. But there's a reason, and generally they're valid. Let me give you a couple. Um, these are not from any in our town. I chose not to do that, although there were opportunities. This one's from the Methodist. Why pay for GPS? Jesus gives directions for free. And there's someone going, yeah, those Methodists. Baptists say, how do we make holy water? Well, you, we boiled the hell out of it. Oh. <laughs> Presbyterians are pointy-headed friends, which I'm very thankful for. I think they get baptism wrong, but other than that, I really like their theology. Have trouble sleeping? We have sermons. Come hear one. <laughs> get a new pastor. <laughs> Go to bed earlier. I don't know what the problem is there, but... Ah, it's weird. There's so many more. Go online if you want to see them. They are funny until you realize this is real and then your head hurts and then your heart hurts and then you have to <laughs> confess. Um, now, to be fair, most of these signs, most signs are not that ridiculous, right? They're not, right? I picked out some of the ones, but, but however, they all communicate something and most often they're not helpful. Most often what they communicate is not helpful. At best, they're forgettable at best, right? At worst, they actually misrepresent God. Almost always, because it's so hard to communicate in such a small amount of space the truth of God's Word. Even when they put the Word up there so many times, it's, it's, it's like a half a verse. And it, it accentuates something they want you to know about God, but they don't talk about who God is. And, and so it's a teaser, and it's like, oh, he's a care bear. And then you go in, and, and maybe they're, they're preaching from Exodus, and it's like, no, he's a consuming fire. And you're like, whoa, that's different than the sign presented. For instance, listen, I, I, from 
where I used to pastor, there was, there was a church in that town, and they had a sign up that said, casual worship at 11 a.m. Now, I know what they're communicating there, right? But, but casual worship, casual worship. So what does casual mean? I, that's how I think. I look it up. It, it means relaxed and unconcerned. Well, why don't we put that up there? Relaxed and unconcerned worship. Well, that'd be problematic, right? Now, to be fair, I know what they're communicating. Or, and, and people don't think like that generally. They're like, oh, it's chill. You can wear jeans. So some might come here and say, this is casual worship. This is not casual worship. My dress may be casual, but there's nothing casual going on here. And hopefully if you stick with us long enough, you'll realize that, right? So, so we can think sometimes the way someone's dressed is casual. No, it's how is your heart dressed? I understand what they're attempting to communicate. However, that flippancy is nowhere to be found in the Bible. Nowhere. Like, look at verse 1 again. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. I mean, a casual approach to worshiping God is dangerous. It's dangerous. It's as dangerous. It's actually more dangerous than approaching a bull elk in heat. If you're a human. And you're like, that's the weirdest thing you maybe have ever said. But I did this. Now, let me tell you how stupid I am. <laughs> so this will only scratch at the surface of my... Man, Lord, you're so kind. So Jesse and I, went. we went up to like, you know, I don't know, Elk County area where they have elk. And we, we were with a friend who had a hunting show. And he was great at bugling and calling them in. And, and this day, there was so much like, it was just, it was stunning right? The sun was barely up. There was like mist everywhere. And, and when they would breathe, you could see it come out their nostrils. It was just awesome. And he's calling them in and here comes this one. And he's pretty excited because he thinks he's, he's meeting a female and he, well, I see this and I don't ask. I just think this would be fun because we have a camcorder. Yes, there's footage. Uh, I just get up and I start to walk towards him. Now, these are a pretty majestic creature that could really hurt you. I do not recommend this. I was talking to my buddy Gabe earlier. I said, not everything I say is prescriptive, bud. You, you know, some things are just describing that you shouldn't do this, right? So you got to pay attention when I'm preaching. Like, don't do this. As I get closer, he's, he's stomping his, his hoof. And I'm like, we're about to have like hoof-to-hand combat. This is about to get gnarly. I'm a little nervous. Jess is like, you're crazy. And, and I, I, I wasn't crazy. I was just not thinking. I was thinking like, nothing's going to happen. This thing could have shred me. I, I could have definitely ended up like when on animals attack. Space idiots. Right? Like, it's a new show. But I have a very casual approach to something that should not have been approached casually. And, and, and listen, you guys are like, he is so dumb. I would never do that. But there are times we do that when we gather to worship Almighty God. We just don't have video of it. And you can't see it. It's not so obvious. It's more here, right? And, and this is what the preacher's saying. So your first point is disingenuous worship doesn't please God and is dangerous. It's dangerous. We have much to learn from this little section of Scripture on the subject of public worship. By the way, worship has to do with God. So many times, and, and once again, I sound like I'm picking. I'm not. Hey, it's time to worship, and that means sing. And that can be a form of worship. But you can actually move your lips and not be worshiping. But worship is so much more than just singing. It's not less than that. 
But it's definitely more than that. Preaching is worship. Hearing the word of God is worship. But you can be in this, like, let's say, hearing all of that and not worshiping. So what, 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 be careful. Worship is God-centered. It's God-centered. It's not man-centered. But if we're not careful, and I mean we for the city church, I'm not thinking about anybody else, right? If we are not careful, we will shift the focus somewhere else. It's, it's so easy just to get off center and start to think that it's, it's more about entertainment, right? Um, it's about ourselves. It's about coming and hearing a message from the Lord that, that's primarily about how my life's going to get back on track. Well, there might be some of that, but that's not primarily what it's about. It, we can even make the mistake of thinking that worship is about growing God's church. And it's, it's not. It's, it's, it's not that at all. That kind of worship that is man-centered does not please God. It does not please God. So, so what is worship? Good question. I, I got some help from a good friend of mine named John Piper. And I think he says it really well. He distinguishes, by the way, the difference between inner essence and outward expression. Um, so let me, let me read this to you. You follow along. He says, The inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things, and then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts in love, in service of others for the sake of Christ. End quote. I would add one piece to that. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you and I cannot worship apart from the Holy Spirit. Not truly. Right? And he would amen that. He would agree with that. Right? And he says that in so many other ways that we know that that's there. But I'll make sure I would say that. What's he, what's he saying? The point is our lips in life must go together in worship. I mean, there have been times where I've certainly not been careful coming and worshiping God um, and, and just singing and doing things without much thought, right? I'd like to tell you that the Lord had corrected me years ago, and I've not done that since, but I can, I can feel myself at times drifting, being distracted, thinking about all the things. Honestly, since becoming a pastor, I've found it much more challenging to zero my head and my heart in on what's happening because I got all these other things that are happening on a Sunday morning that I see in my peripheral vision. And so, Lord, help me. Help me not to just sing words detached from thinking, right? Like help, <laughs> this would be weird, but he, he, you know, the Bible uses language like eyes of the heart. Help the lips of my heart to actually sing what I'm saying, right? Make it, make it true for me right? I could fool everyone here, but I can't fool you. Help me worship in spirit and truth. Holy Spirit, oh God, help me, right? The, to be aware when I gather, right? Why? Because it's, it's disingenuous and it's empty and it's absolutely dangerous to come in here week after week. I'm not saying you're doing this. Evaluate yourself before the Word of God and, and just go through motions and just yeah, you're doing the thing, but you ain't doing the thing. Let me, let me, how does Jesus say it? He says it like this. In Matthew 15, 8 through 9, he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. 
What's he saying? Jesus is saying outside, right, outside in, right? So it's, it's like, I'm just doing this out here. It's not really happening here. He says it's worthless. That's what vain means. It's, it's zero, net zero. It's, it doesn't count for anything. I see it. It doesn't matter. Nada, nothing. It's not worship. It, if it is zero, if there's no heart component to what you're doing outwardly. That's what he's saying. So, so you can do many good deeds your whole life, and, and you can go to many church services, and you could look like you're worshiping all the time, but if it's all external and nothing happening in the heart towards God, he is not pleased. How does that make you feel? I'm asking feelings because much of this has to affect your emotions. If, if it causes you to tremble a little bit and to think, that's probably a good sign. If you're like, I don't really care what he has to say. He's judging me. That's not a good sign. It's not a good sign. If you come to the word of God like that, don't harden your heart. What, what Solomon is saying, there's a kind of worship that's under the sun that has nothing to do with God, and that is hebel. That is meaningless. It does nothing for your soul. That's what he's saying. Therefore, maybe a better church sign would say, beware of God, for he is a consuming fire. But who would come? Worshippers. It's not very seeker-sensitive, right? It's not very seeker-friendly. It's not real attractional. But, but, but man, sometimes I think it's better than to put flippant Jesus out there because Jesus ain't flippant. He's just not. The one true and living God is a consuming fire who commands that we love him. Love him means obey him and to love one another in the church and let that love of one another, love of God, overflow into the places you go into your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? All the world. So guard your steps. What's, what's he saying? Hear the fresh warning from the preacher this morning. When I say the preacher, I mean the word of God, not Scott Rising, although let my voice be the word. He's saying, guard your steps. Watch out. Be careful. How would the rapper say it? Check yourself before you wreck yourself, sucker. <laughs> right? That's, that's what he's saying. Why? Why? B because you need to know that approaching God in a flippant way that doesn't involve your heart and your head is dangerous. It's dangerous. It, I don't even know. If, it, I think it would almost be better if you didn't. If you didn't. You'd be better to stay in ignorance than to continue to come and, and pretend, right? And so, God, help us to have authentic worship. Help us to be a genuine people. There are times where my emotions don't feel it. I show up, and I'm guessing that's true of all of you. So what I'm not saying is that we're always on, you know, 100% high when we come and worship Jesus, but we're, we're sincere with him. We're sincere with him. Lord, it took everything I had to even come here because I, I don't want to be here. You might not tell that to anybody else. You, by the way, we overemphasize, like, be genuine and always come in and just tell us, like, you know, like a dump truck, boop, 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 back it up and dump it on everyone in the church. If you do that every Sunday, that's not great either. Like, you're, you're elevating that. Oh, that's so authentic. No, that's your identity. Oh, you're always the person that's a wreck. It's okay to not be okay. 
But, but, but so many times our culture makes that the thing. But you know what? It's, it is okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there and never try to take a step out of the muck and the mire. You're just, you're just on the other end of the spectrum. You're, you're faking it differently. God's not pleased. He's just not pleased. It's dangerous. Look at the first three verses with me again. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To, to draw near, to draw near to God, right? To listen is better than to offer sacrifices of full. So, so worship has a lot to do with listening, right? To hearing the word of God, to, to when you sing, to think of the words you're singing. This is why it matters what we sing. This is why we ought to pick songs that are God-centered, not man-centered, right? Like we go to lengths to make sure that what we're doing when we preach, when we teach, when we pray, when we sing, when we gather in small groups, magnifies Christ, not man. Why? Because you are naturally going to worship yourself almost always apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't need to help you with self-confidence. God needs to help us humble ourselves. We need to shrink. He needs to grow in our heart and our affections. I mean, so much. Like, make sure you teach them about, you know, self-confidence. You do not need to teach children self-confidence. They have enough self-confidence to go around for all the world. What they need is they need God-confidence. Oh, my goodness, do they have enough. I had enough I mean, I thought I was that in a, a bag of Rice Krispie Treats when I was growing up. And you're like, what, what, is that a big deal? Like, it was a big deal. I liked Rice Krispie Treats when I was growing up. I needed someone to tell me the world doesn't revolve around you, Scott Rising. Thankfully, I had someone who did that. Why? Because if you don't do that, it's a sacrifice of fools. It continues, for they do not know that what they are doing is evil. Listen, we draw near to hear from God, from Him. From his word. We don't draw near because we have something to give God. As though he needs anything from you. Or me. He doesn't need anything from you or me. He needs nothing. He's God. We need. We need him. God, help me hear. I know you're speaking. Your word's clear. Help me hear what you're saying. And when I say here, you can read your Bible and not be listening. You can read through the Bible twice, once forwards, once backwards, and not hear and be listening to God. God, help me hear. Tune my heart to you. Cause my heart to hear you. Because I just, I just want to hear all the noise that's in my head. And, and so ask him for that help. So it continues, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. That's scary for a preacher who preaches a lot and long. But he really means this in relationship to prayer. You know, he's, you know, you got the people just coming up before the altar and they're just saying all these lofty words or speaking in King James only, right? Like it's old English. Hey, by the way, it's 2022, homie, right? Like if you want to read that, that's cool. But thee, thou, thou, right? Like God's not impressed. Now, if you do that naturally, cool, I guess. It's weird. But you don't get any street cred with God because you use big language. 
No, he says, let them be few. And he says, for dreams come with much busyness, a fool's voice with many words. Hmm. Don't be quick to just tell God what you think he wants to hear from you. Why? Well, I'm, I'm going to read a quote because they say it way better than I can. Someone has said this in relationship to that. That when we pray, we tend to think it's like talking into a spiritual microphone with God listening on the other end through a set of heavenly earphones. But, in fact, when we pray, God is listening to us with a spiritual stethoscope. Just like the doctor who says, let me hear you breathe. And he listens in to what we cannot see and so learns the truth about us. He reads your mail. Well, that's a little scary. He hears the things you might not even know what's going on in your heart because your heart is so deceitful, so wicked. Not just you, me, right? Like, no, he, he hears the things you're not even saying. It's much more like an MRI. I see what's going on there. Oh, they all think you're awesome. You don't watch PG-13 movies unless Jesus is being beaten in them. Yay, you. But I know what's going on in the heart. I see it. And you don't have me fooled. Oh, they applaud you. I'm not applauding you. Okay. Superficial religion is it's a sacrifice of fools. And God's not pleased. He says it's evil. Going through motions without any thought is dangerous. And by the way, without going into a big one, I mean, there, there's a serious amount of mindless worship going around. And it's so sad to see because it's just so much built on man, not on God. Well, I'll let the Lord handle that. But how do you see it? Well, in mainline denominations, the danger of empty ritualistic worship remains present and real, right? Like they go through and they do the same motions all the time. People don't even know what they do and why they do it. We were having a conversation this week with somebody and, and she was saying how she does a particular thing on a Sunday morning and she goes, and, and my wife asked, well, why do you do that? She goes, I don't know. That, okay, you ought to know why you do what you do when you do when you come and gather at the church, this isn't like pagan, pagan you know, rituals that you know, do this and do that and sprinkle some holy water somewhere. And Okay, he's pleased. He's, he's not pleased. He's not pleased. And by the way, don't think, well, he's picking on um, you know, Catholics there. Well, non-denominational churches have the same temptation. It's just different. It's, it's emotionalism at times. It's entertainment seeking and and. By the way, many times, I'm not saying the leaders of that church aren't trying to present an opportunity for you to interact with God, but so many of the consumers that show up Sunday after Sunday don't think this has anything to do with God. They're just bored out of their mind, apparently. I mean, there's got to be something better to do, right? Like almost anything if you're not truly worshiping God, right? But God sees that, and, and what this does is it sets the stage for a sacrifice of fools, what it does is, I'm coming because I think God's pleased with me, I'm, my being here. And, and they might write checks, and they might, or, or give online and do the thing. And it might be totally apart from what God's doing in that service. They might sing, they might raise their hands, they might get themselves in a tissy. But if it doesn't ground itself in the reality of who God is as He says He is, 
in the Word of God, it's not pleasing. What is pleasing? Worship that is rooted and grounded in faith. Trust. Faith is what pleases God. Trust is what pleases God. So when, when you write the check or when you give online, you're giving, trusting. I don't have the cash to give right now. I don't. And, and, and gas is going up in case no one's paying attention. And that's causing everything else to go up. And, and I'm watching my budget and it's shrinking. And yet you tell me to offer first fruits as a principle that comes from the Bible. I don't want to trust you with that. He's saying, trust me. I got you. See the birds? They're chubby. They got some worms, right? They got their little feathers. They got a home. They got a nest. Okay, but if you were to gather all the birds in all the universe, Scott, I love you more than every bird ever created. Why? Because you're made in my image. I got you. I got you. I'll give you the grace to want if that's what needs to happen. I'll give you the grace to go through a couple of days without food if that's what needs to happen. But I got you. If you can trust me with your soul, you can trust me with your bank account. Son, do you hear me? Like, that's what he's saying. And, and if you're like, well, money ain't my thing. Whatever your thing is, do you trust him? Because that's worship. That's worship. As simply put as it can be, it's I understand your grandeur. There's a gravity to you. And I trust you here. And there's days when my heart doesn't trust him 100% all the time. Are you kidding? You think I float around this city? Give me a break. That's not the case. And in that moment, will I be honest with him or will I continue to pretend? Will I come before him and say, I'm not trusting you. Oh God, forgive me. Help me. Help me to trust you. Cause my heart to trust you. Bring to mind the moments I'm not trusting you. And make me quick to confess. And rest in the grace that you've provided. Oh God, help me. Right? Um, a couple examples from the Bible of, of how dangerous it is to come to God flippantly. Um, Nadad, Abihu. I mean, listen, they offered strange fire to God in Leviticus 10, 1, and 2, and he consumed them with fire. Would love to go into more detail. Don't have time, right? Um, why did that happen, though? Leviticus 10, 3 tells us, Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said, Among those who draw near to me, I will be sanctified. Meaning, I will be holy. I am set apart. Do not mess with the living God. And before all the people, I will be glorified. I will be honored. Apparently, whatever they were doing was not honoring God. It was not glorifying to God, and therefore he consumed them. You're like, yeah, but that's, I mean, come on. That's, that's God of the Old Testament, and he is so much more advanced in the New Testament. I mean, Jesus seems like a real sweetie pie, right? Um, so he would never do that in the New Testament. He's, he's, he's much more kind, much more sweet. But then we think about Ananias and Sapphira, who, who, were, who were just kind of lying about what they were putting in the offering plate, right? And God was not pleased and struck them both dead. Oh, yeah, that God, yeah. Um, why did he do that? So that fear would come upon all of God's people, and because of that, their worship increased. They quit trifling with the living God, and the church grew. Church grew, right? Okay. So in each of these severe acts of judgment... We see, by the way, both of them were beginning of new era in the Bible. One was of the tabernacle and worship there, and one was New Testament church. God wanted to show nothing's changed about who I am. 
Please don't make the mistake of thinking we have Old Testament God, New Testament Jesus. We worship one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, Spirit. Christ is fully God, fully man. He's the exact imprint of the Father. Okay, so, so do I have your attention is what God is saying. Are you listening? Okay, well, good, good, because we need to listen. We need to listen. Listen to Romans 12, 1 through 2. By the way, this comes in the book of Romans after Paul has taken the time to, to detail the gospel. And he says, therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, right? Be conformed, shoved into a pattern, shoved into a mold like Plato. No, don't do that. But have your mind transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the Word of God. Come to the Word of God. Have your mind changed, right? Why? So that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Listen, if you're listening then we will worship God properly by coming to worship with expectancy and awe because of what Christ has done through his life, death, and resurrection. By the mercies of God, I appeal to you. You see the goodness, the glory, the gravity. Let it be gladness to your heart if you're in Christ and worship him with expectancy and awe. Why? Because you become what you behold. You become what you behold. You see the gospel, you see, and, and not you don't see it, but you understand it in your, in your heart and in your mind that what you deserve is the wrath of God. And in God's kindness, he, he sent his son, his perfect son, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world to live this life that you and I could never live. We mess up, we sin, we rebel against a holy God all day, every day, when we walk the face of this earth as a broken people in a broken world, Jesus never sinned. His worship was only and always perfect to the Father. His whole life was a perfect sacrifice of worship. And then he substitutes himself for sinners. He goes to the cross and he receives what you and I deserve because of our very flippant and imperfect worship. And he offers a sacrifice of himself gladly for the joy that was set before him to the Father so that sinners might be able to draw near to God through the perfect sacrifice of Christ by trusting in his life and in his death because he resurrected from the grave triumphantly, defeating Satan, sin, and death, making a way for sinners like us who'd never worship perfectly to draw near to a perfect God through Christ, through faith, by grace alone, not by any of our perfect attempts at worship. But those who are in Christ, he now says, now worship me in spirit and truth. And to help you, I'm going to give you a helper. I'm going to give you myself. You now are my temple. I'm going to dwell in you. And I'm going to just do this work from the inside out. I'm going to start to clear the stage of your heart that has all the idols lined up that you love to bow down to. And I'm going to crush them all. Until the only one you see is me, who is the lover of your soul. Why? Because I love you, and I'm good, and you need me.
And as we come to him and we start to be honest before him, we start to realize I'm way worse off than I ever thought I was. You, you, you don't grow in your sin, hopefully, as you're continuing to walk with the Lord, but you grow in your awareness that there's levels of sin that you just never had a clue of, right? Like when I got saved, I realized it's probably not good to go around punching dudes in the face. Didn't take me long to figure that out. Never got in another fight physically, but I was still a serial killer in my heart. I'm just murdering folks. Hate them. Anger. Seething. And God's like, I'm not pleased with that either because if you hate your brother or your sister in your heart, you're still, still just out of line with me, Scott. And he just took me to the mat and kept putting me in rear naked chokeholds and tapping out. I watched UFC last night. Anyway, <laughs> Jesus doesn't really do that. Well, he kind of did in the Old Testament. Never mind. <laughs> Touched the hip, went out, right? So, second point, we're going to go quick. Genuine worship that pleases God involves humble surrender, integrity, and awe. Listen to how the preacher says it in Ecclesiastes 5, 4 through 7. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. So he went from really concern yourself, guard your steps about how you listen. Now he's talking about your mouth. Okay? Do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. So he's really focusing in on our speech here. Essentially he's saying, listen, making a vow to God, it's not something we really do, by the way, too often, although sometimes, uh, but not the way he's mentioning it. Uh, it. It's foolishness if you're going to make that vow and then never do it, right? Like we've all made vows to God, right? I remember praying to the porcelain God uh, when I was younger, right? Like, Lord, if you just get me through this moment, I will never do that again. I didn't even know the Lord, right? And he got me through it and I did it again. He's not pleased, okay, right? Like, but, but I didn't even know the Lord then. And so like, okay, I'm, he's so compassionate, right? Like he's merciful. But I've, I've, I mean, I've done it early on in my Christian walk. Lord, I just pray that if you just get me out of this situation, I'll never do it again. You fill in the blank of what you think that might be. I just promise I'll, I'll never tear someone down with my words again if you, just, if you just make this situation go away. Lord, I promise I will give uh, of the offering I know that you've been calling me to give with, with my, my, my money, 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 money. If you, just, if you just help me with this bill right now, man, if you just get me out of this jam, I promise then, you know, if I just start, if I get another raise, Lord, then I'll start to actually give to, to the church and for the advancement of the gospel. Um, look, Right, we, we do this. We do this. He's not, he's not pleased. He wants sincere worship. You should fear God. God is the one you must fear. Not, not man. Not, don't go telling the messenger, the priest, the person at the church, I promise I'll do it next week. You can fool them. You, you can't fool him. And, and Solomon in, in Proverbs 1, 7 said, if... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. He says that in Proverbs 1, 7. And, 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 and that is so at the heart of the beginning of understanding what true worship is. 
we, we fear so many things that we ought not, like one another, one another's opinions. What, what do people think, right? Like, will they, will they approve of this? Man, if you can just live life by God's grace with audience of one, will this please the Lord? And if so, God help me to do that. But what might they say? They'll think you're weird. You are. Get over it. You're weird. And by the way, being like everyone else, like Eminem, you know, they're just spitting them out. I'm Slim Shady. You're Slim Shady. Where's the real Slim Shady? Who cares if you're like everybody else? There's an, God's uniquely knit you in your mother's womb for his glory. You have unique gifts that no one else has. He desires that, he, that you be the real you, and the real you is how he created you. You don't get to tell creator who you are, the essence of who you are, who is stamped on you. You are Imago Dei. You are made in the image of God. Therefore, to be the real you is to be the real you with the personality that God has given you, submitted to Almighty God in glad worship to him as you see him so that you might become more like him. That's the real you. That's the authentic you. Comparison is the thief of joy. Everybody's running around, I wish I was like that person. Why? They're not that cool even on their best day. I guarantee it. You just need to hang out with them more. Then you'll realize. The point is that God desires undivided worship in spirit and in truth. Undivided. I'm going to finish with a parable. And if you're like, oh man, we won't get into it much. Hang in there. We'll get to it eventually because it's found in Luke 18, 9 through 14. I think there's a great picture of what Solomon's talking about. So listen to the word of God. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted, don't miss this, trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So he gives this parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector, right? The Pharisee standing by himself, he prayed this. Now listen to this, this prayer. You might think, oh, that sounds pretty good. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I saw many of these prayers, by the way, on Facebook over the last couple weeks. I fast twice a week. Ooh, right? I give tithes of all that I get. Okay, you, you hear that and you're like, that's pretty impressive, man. Go get him, son. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me a sinner. That's his prayer. Which one's awesome? God weighs that. It's the one that's said in faith. One had lots of flowery language with his lips, but his heart was far from him. This one came from the heart and out his mouth. And Jesus says, now I tell you, now listen, they're all watching, Pharisees, tax collectors. Wait, which one is it? Which one's going to be good? I tell you, this man, which man? The man who beat his breast said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That man went down to his house justified, not the other one. That would have been a scandal. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I will lift him up. I will lift him up. I will come and get him from his despair. I will come and get him from the moment of weakness that he has. Why? Because that prayer is honest. 
And that's what God's looking for. He's looking for honest worship, sincere worship to be given to him. And so as we consider the holiness of God and compare it to our many shortcomings, it is simply mercy that you and I are alive. It's, it's this mercy that we're alive. Can you just see, like, we, we so deserve the wrath of God. It's, it's what we deserve. I remember my daughter at a young age always telling me what she deserved. And I, and I remember looking at her. I, I don't think I said it in anger. I said, all you deserve, Sarah, is the wrath of God. Now, that'll probably come out in counseling, right? And, <laughs> and mom looks at me like big eyes, like, whoa. But it's right. Do you think you deserve something? You do. You deserve wrath. And God in His kindness, in His mercy, in His steadfast love, oh, He gives you so much more. What's He give you? He gives you Himself. Do you deserve that? Not on your best day. Not on my best day do I deserve the grace of God given to me in Christ. See, it's not only in Jesus' sufferings that, that saves us, right? It's his obedience, including the perfect worship that he offered to the Father. We get that. Jesus died for all our sins, including the sins that we have committed in the very act of attempting to worship him. He's, he's paid for that. Your past, your present, your future sins, paid for. So through faith in Jesus Christ, by trusting in him, trusting in his perfect worship, that worship now belongs to us. It's a gift of righteousness that he gives to us, right? It belongs to us as if we ourselves have perfectly worshipped the Father in spirit and truth always. It's just so hard to comprehend when you think about that. That, that Jesus' worship is now ours by faith. We receive that. that. That we have worship in the courtroom of heaven with heart, mind, soul, strength, always 24-7 offered perfect praise and worship to God Almighty. He gives you that. And that gives you right standing. And so through faith in Jesus, our perfect worship has been swallowed up in the grave. It's been paid for in full. There's not an ounce of it that's needing to be paid still. And he gives us the perfect righteousness, the perfect worship of Christ in our place. It's gifted to us. So now we have right standing. We have a mediator between God the Father, sinful man, and we have the gift of the Holy Spirit to now offer true, authentic worship. The Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth. And he's saying, come and worship. Church, we've been resurrected to new life. <laughs> this is the beauty of the gospel. There's so much beauty in the gospel, but, but I want to emphasize this. And by God's grace and by his spirit, we now stand... And God forgives when we don't, in awe of the magnificence of Christ. And as we see him, as we behold him, we become like him because you cannot stand and look at the Christ man dead on the cross, resurrected in glory, and think you're awesome. You will humble, you will shrink, and you'll humble yourself under the mighty hand of God who's now your father. And he don't want to crush you. He loves you. He sees you. 
he takes that hand and he lifts you up. He exalts you. Zephaniah says he sings over you. He's with you. He's for you. Oh, how could we not want to worship him when we see him? And so when we do this, by his grace, we then seek to live lives of integrity. Our life, our lips, they match. Why? Because it comes from here, not just here. The head and the heart are connected. And we worship him. Wherever we go, in our day-to-day job, in our neighborhood, in our home, and especially as we gather here as a people. So God, help us to offer true, authentic worship that pleases you. And may our lives be worship, not just when we gather on Sunday morning. Let's pray. So Father, we do give you thanks um, that you're a patient God, that you, you are a consuming fire, and you had every right to consume us in the fire of hell, and, and yet your mercy is more, and you were patient. You, you allowed the cup of your wrath to continue to fill until you sent the perfect Lamb of God to take and drink that cup of wrath down to the last drop for all who put their faith in you. God, I ask that you'd help us to be a people who are mindful of our heart and our mind and our lives as we engage the living God. Create in us a clean heart. Help us to worship you in spirit and truth. God, help us to love you with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Show us the areas where we do not do that. Give us the grace. Remind us of your kindness. Let your kindness lead us to repentance. May we come to you and offer honest worship before you. Transform us to be more and more like you, less like ourselves. And may that love for you overflow into the lives of one another. May the city see the way we love one another. And may they long to come to know the one true living God who has clearly told us who he is in his word and in the person and work of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.